It's my privilege to introduce to you somebody that doesn't need an introduction, but he is just a wonderful brother. Um, God is using him. He's working in him and through him. Would you please give a warm reload welcome to our brother Mike Benson. Mike, come on down. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Uh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. You guys ready to have some fun? Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this time, for this season, and every man's life. Father, we open our hearts to you today to receive from you. Father, we decrease so that you can increase in us and through us. Have your way this morning. Do what you do best. We do a lot of things, but you do good things, Father. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may not know who I am. I am uh, Mike Benson. I'm the team captain of the Conquerors International Strength Team. The Conquerors is a group of athletes, and we have every little boy's, some girl's dream job. We get to break things for a living, and we don't get in trouble for it. Uh, what used to be malicious destruction of property is now ministry. And uh, I've, uh, I'm also the onboard evangelist here at Resurrection Life Church, and uh, I, love, I love this church. Uh, a lot of things happen for me in this men's ministry years ago, um, and it's just been an awesome, awesome privilege to be a part of this ministry and, and see all the change and the growth and, and in, in men's lives. Uh, the Conquerors, we've been having a great, great year. Uh, we've had over 30,000 people make decisions for Jesus so far this year. We call that a good start. In less than uh, three weeks, we're going to be going to Australia for the seventh time, uh, the land down under. Uh, get down there and get some kangaroos. And It's funny, the souvenirs you bring back from that country are crazy. Uh, they had keychains that were kangaroo testicles. <laughs> so I saw those, I said, oh man, I got to have me about four or five pair. <laughs> So I'm coming through TSA, <laughs> and the guys in America, they were like, what the heck is this? I says, hey, man, if you don't got a pair, you got two pair now. Uh, and, then, uh, and then our cat chewed one up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really excited about a trip coming up in March of 2019. The Conquerors are actually going to be going to Pakistan. And I'll give you a little backdrop of that story. These guys were hitting me up on Facebook. I've done a couple services via Skype over there in Pakistan, and these guys were always like, come on over here. We need you guys over here. And, and my attitude was, you know, if Jesus himself appears to me with four angels and they have swords on fire, and he says, thou shalt go to Pakistan, I might consider it. But barring that, it ain't going to happen. And this one pastor, he got a hold of me, and just the peace of God came over me, and, and I, I 
I was typing and I was in my head going, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I would like to explore this. Well, anyway, we're going to be going over there. We're going to be doing uh, evangelistic crusades. Uh, we're going to be training all the pastors in Pakistan at a leadership conference. We're going to be in Karachi, which is the third largest city in the world, 20 million people. And we're going to be on the only Christian television network in Pakistan. So we're actually going to be able to preach the gospel to millions of Muslims. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This is like taking a lightsaber and shoving it in the heart of Darth Vader. That's what I'm talking about, huh? I want to speak to you guys this morning about being men of war. In Exodus 15:3, the scripture says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The New Living Translation says, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And in the message version, it says, God is a fighter, pure God through and through. God is a fighter. He's a warrior. He doesn't sit around. He's not a couch potato. He's a warrior. You know, and the world and religion have created a ton of stereotypes about what it means to be a man of God. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And of course, the world sees it as weak, and, 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 and religion makes it about what rules, what you do and what you don't do, and your bad behavior, do, do, don't do. It's all a bunch of do-do. But God has a different way of looking at what it means to be a man of war. Um, <clears throat> The number one misconception is that Christians are weak, that men of God are weak, that you, you need a crutch or something like that. Let me tell you, everybody's got something they lean on. I just happen to lean on the strongest source in the universe. When I'm facing a, a situation that's subject to change, I need to lean on something that's never subject to change. The only difference between us is that Men of God, we know we're weak, we admit our weakness, and we submit it to the living God. Men of the world, they put on a front. They hide their weaknesses, they say, oh yeah, I got this together, and, and they're falling apart. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You see, God looks at weakness and strength in a different paradigm than what this physical world looks at it. I mean, if you just look at the scriptures, the heroes of the Bible would have got chosen last for tag. They wouldn't have been top draft pick in the NFL. God loves to work through our weaknesses and in the midst of our weaknesses. And I know, I know in, in, in culture today, and even in the church culture, nobody likes to flaunt their weaknesses. I mean, you look on Facebook, I mean Facebook. <laughs> Everybody's got their best on, you know, every Photoshop, selfie, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody gets up, has a bad hair day, and posts on there, my life really sucks today. <laughs> nobody ever does that. But, you know, God sees weakness differently than we do. It's okay to have strengths. God's given us strengths. 
You know, focus on your strengths. God gave you those strengths for a reason. But don't neglect your weaknesses because that's where he's going to show up the most. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. His power. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, if I was to sit down and I was to sit in front of an Excel spreadsheet and I was to balance a multi-million dollar budget and do it perfectly the first time, everybody who knows me would say that was God. <laughs> because I can't stand anything that has to do with details or numbers or anything like that. You know, it's like if I get under the bench and, 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 I, and, I, and I bench press 500 pounds, you know, that, people aren't going to be surprised by that. I've been lifting weights pretty much my whole life. But if somebody who weighs 120 and maybe did a couple P90X workouts gets under there and benches 500 pounds, they're going to be, well, that's going to be amazing to them. They're going to be like, what is he taking? <laughs> because when God shows up in our weaknesses, you know it and everybody else knows it, that it wasn't you. That was 100% God. And when he shows up, he gets the glory. Mm, 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 mm. There's three things I learned not to touch. God's glory, God's gold, and God's girls. Uh, you don't touch any three of those things, you're in a good, you're, you're doing really good. <laughs> God does not judge us by our appearance, by our pedigree, by what we know, how many, dial, how many zeros are in our bank account, what's in our driveway. He doesn't judge by any of the, the standards that the world judges by. He judges by our hearts and our capacity for him to fill our hearts and to move through us. And the number one thing he's looking for in every man is the only thing that we can take credit for, and that's obedience. That's the only thing we can take credit for. Now, I was having a discussion with Mike McNamara back there, and, you know, in the church today, there's a, there's a you know, there's a lot of focus on discipleship, and discipleship is phenomenal. And a disciple is a disciplined one. A disciple is somebody who studies under a master. The master says, do this, you do that. <laughs> Let me show you how it's done. And then you mimic that, that, that person. So many times God is speaking to us to do things, but as Pastor Tom alluded to, fear holds us back. False evidence appearing real. That's, that's the definition of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing what's right despite fear. That's the true definition of courage. Um, probably one of, one of my favorite examples in the scripture is David. 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to him, Samuel, let me, let me, let, let me set the, the scene here. Samuel was coming to choose the new king of Israel. And he had all of Jesse's sons lined up and from the tallest to the smallest. And, and, and Samuel walks up to the biggest guy, the strongest guy, the best looking guy and says, oh, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. 
And the Lord says, no, it's not him. And he goes down, down the line. And, and 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord told him, Samuel, don't think Elab is the one just because he's tall and handsome. He isn't the one I've chosen. People judge others by what they look like, but I judge people by what's in their hearts. Outward appearance means absolutely nothing to God. But yet in our culture, we judge by outward appearance. Don't we? I mean, instantly when somebody walks in, especially guys, come on, we size each other up. <laughs> Don't think it's just the ladies, you know. Oh, I love your hair. Oh, your hair's so great. <laughs> love the palette you're using. I'm like, what are you guys, painting or something here? What do you mean, palette? I find out it's a makeup thing. It's a chick thing. But we do it too. We measure each other up. What's the first question we ask each other? Oh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> right? We're trying to assign a, a position in, in society's pecking order. We, we, we do it all the time. We make judgments according to outward appearance. I love the story about this pastor who he, uh, he didn't take a shower for like two weeks and grew his hair and did some things and, and, and changed his total appearance into uh, that of a homeless man. And he walked into his own church just to see how he'd be treated. And, and then after the experiment, you know, he, he walked up to the front of the church, security's trying to stop him, and, and, and he gets up there, and, and then he reveals who he is, and, and it was a great convicting time to most of those people, and, and uh, he, he, he said something, I believe it went like this, I don't, I don't know if it's his exact quote, he's like, when are we going to stop looking at people's appearance and start looking at their hearts? When are we going to stop judging people for their failures and start looking at their potential? Because God has created every single human on the face of this planet with an infinite, unlimited amount of human potential and godly potential in everyone. I mean, my own, my own story is a very good example of that. I mean, I, I was, my life was failure from day one dysfunctional family, crime ran in my family, drugs, alcohol, spent 11 years of my life in prison. If you would have seen me back then and said, oh, he's going to be a great representation of Jesus Christ someday, I, I along with everybody else, would have laughed at you. <laughs> but let me encourage you to don't judge yourself according to your current circumstances. Because circumstances are temporary. God is eternal. Mm, mm, mm. Even Samuel was judging by appearance. So then David, he gets anointed king, and they didn't all recognize him right away and say, oh, move into your position, here's the palace and all that stuff. How many of y'all know there's a time from the call until the realization of it is a time of testing. You know, God puts a dream in your heart. He puts something, a vision in your heart. And I know myself, I think it's like, all right, when's this going to happen? Like tomorrow, God? <laughs> in, our, in our culture of instantaneous gratification, I'm ready to go now. But there's a time of testing and preparation. And, and then the giant Goliath was... Was he was out there and he was mocking 
the armies of Israel and he was mocking the God of Israel and he was out there throwing out the challenge. Our culture is a Goliath. Our culture is mocking God. Everything about our culture is mocking God. And that giant was like, anybody who wants to face me, who wants to take me on, come on, I'm ready to go. Everybody was hiding and shaking in their boots. The mighty armies of Israel. And here's David, a little boy. He wasn't moved by the size of the giant. He wasn't moved by his lack of military or fighting experience. I mean, he's been a shepherd. He was moved by the reputation of his king. His heart was so passionate for God that when he heard the insults, somebody insulting his God, he was moved to action. He went up there and he said, I'll take him on. I'll do it. 1 Samuel 17, 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Again, judging by outward appearance. What's your giant that you're facing right now? What's the arguments going through your head? How am I ever going to overcome this? I've never been able to X, fill in the blank. I haven't been able to do it this long. What makes me think I'm going to do it now? What's the use? Verse 36 and 37. This is what David says. Hmm. Sir, I've killed lions and bears that way, and I can kill this worthless, <laughs> I love it, Philistine. He shouldn't have made fun of the army of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of lions and bears, and he will keep me safe from the hands of of this Philistine. All right, Saul answered, go ahead and fight him, and I hope the Lord will help you. <laughs> you see, Saul's hope was in man, David's hope was in God. There's a big difference. Saul totally judged David by his outward appearance. David was ticked off because they mocked his God. He wasn't standing for it. You know, uh, there's a lot of conversation topics that are pretty hot nowadays. You know, politics is obviously one of them, <clears throat> which I don't really uh, try to get pulled into that too much because, you know, politics comes from the Greek word poly, meaning many, and ticks, blood-sucking creatures. And it doesn't matter if they're Republican or demon, uh, Democrat. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> but when it comes to the topic of God, I'm right in there. 
It doesn't matter where, what setting we're at, where we're at. You want to bring up that topic, hey, man, I, I got something to say. I don't care if you call me a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper. I'm all that. I'm, count me in. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the author of the gospel. First Samuel 17, 42. So then we know David, he goes out there to fight Goliath. And Goliath saw that David was just a healthy, good-looking boy. He made fun of him. Do you think I'm a dog, Goliath asked. Is that why you've come after me with a stick? He cursed David in the name of his Philistine gods and shouted, come on, when I'm finished with you, I'll feed you to the birds and the wild animals. So he was putting his flex on. David answered, you've come out to fight me with a sword and a spear and a dagger, but I've come out to fight you in the name of the Lord all-powerful. He is the God of Israel's army, and you have insulted him too. Today, the Lord will help me defeat you. I'll knock you down and cut off your head and I'll feed the bodies of the other Philistine soldiers to the birds and wild animals, then the whole world will know that Israel has a real God. David wasn't just, he, he was looking past the giant. He said, when I'm done with you, I'm going to feed the rest of your boys to the, to the birds too. He's basically saying, I beat up Goliath like you on the way to a fight. But notice where David was bragging. It wasn't in his strength. He, wasn't, he came out there with a sling. He said, I don't, need, I don't even need a weapon. I got God. And if I got God, this victory is already mine. David was prophesying to that Goliath, telling him the outcome. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> This is exactly what's going to happen. How many of y'all know David probably felt a little bit of uh, anxiety? I, 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 I don't know if you guys heard this the last time I was here, but we were in Albania. And uh, we, had, we had went to Albania the first, this was like seven, seven years ago, eight, nine years ago, we went to Albania for the first time. And uh, it was, you know, it's a 98% Muslim country. And we, we had a phenomenal time. We got on their, their national TV show called The Free Zone. And it's the most popular TV show in all the country. So we had literally millions of people. And we got on there and I was able to share my story and share the gospel. And, and this guy, uh, his name was Riald. And he was a young man whose family were proprietors of a, of a convenience store. They lived up above, and Riald was in drugs. He was addicted to drugs, and he owed the, the dope man a lot of money, and, and his, his time was getting close, and he was despondent of life, and he was about to commit suicide. Had hung a noose up and everything, and, and then he turned the TV on. He heard the gospel, and Jesus met him right there. He gave his heart to Jesus. Then he came to the church. That Sunday, and his whole family got born again, and, and it was a phenomenal trip. And so now we're returning for the second time, and this was two years after. And, uh, 
and we're going to be on this same TV show, only this time Rial is going to be on the show with us. I'm like, yeah, that's so rich. That's just totally God. <laughs> yeah, ha-ha, devil. <laughs> and so we're getting there, you know, we're, we're all ready, and, and uh, we get in the car, and our friend Andy Dina, Andy Dina picks us up, and and we're asking, hey, you know, how, what's, what's been going on lately? Well, well, in Albania, you know, it's 98% Muslim, but it's ruled by the world's largest criminal organization. The Albanian mafia is the world's most powerful criminal organization. And they're very political. That's how they have so much power. They're very involved in politics. And, and I guess the, the mafia's president had just gotten voted out of office and Andy, Andy was informing us that they weren't too happy about that. And so their answer was to blow things up. And he's like, we've been having car bombings and stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Welcome to Albania. <laughs> and so we got into our hotel uh, that, that evening and, and we're two blocks down from the government center. We're there in Triana, the, the capital city. And and we're getting settled in, and all of a sudden, boom, the whole building shook. And my, my teammate comes in, his eyes are about this wide. <laughs> He's like, is that what I thought it was? <laughs> I said, yep, sounds like it. It felt like it. <laughs> he said, I don't know if I signed up for this. <laughs> I prophesied. I said, the Lord called us over here to win souls. He didn't call us over here to get killed. No harm is going to come to us. You see, I called out the end from the beginning. My confidence, I had no clue what was going to happen over the days, but he does. He knows everything. And I know, I sure know I don't have a martyr's calling on my life because the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. But was I feeling fear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was thoughts running through my mind? Oh, Yes. Thoughts were running through my mind. So as soon as he left the room, I was pacing the floor and praying and praying and praying until I got peace. Look, we have the victory, but we're still in the middle of combat. And the, the biggest battle we have to face is internal, is the internal battle. And so we went through that whole time and, and a bunch of souls got saved. There was a car bombing every single night. The enemy was trying to intimidate us. People hear that and they're like, oh, wow. that's all." But you know what? So many men today get intimidated by far less than car bombings. They get intimidated by their reputation looking bad or the way you'll come off. Oh, don't want to cause no waves. This is not the environment to be speaking about the gospel. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you're a son of the king. First Samuel 19.8, the next time there was a war with the Philistines, David fought hard and forced them to retreat. You see, he won that decisive victory. He whipped Goliath and everybody else, but the war didn't stop with one battle. 
The scripture says the next time there was a war with the Philistines. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about our enemy. He's an idiot. He's defeated, but he ain't a quitter. He is going to fight until his last breath. You know, in World War II, when we invaded the beaches of Normandy, otherwise known as D-Day, when we secured the beaches at Normandy, Everybody on the battlefield, the allies and the Axis powers all realized one thing, that it was only a matter of time before we defeated Germany. Everybody knew it. But there was four months time between D-Day and V-Day. And in that four months time, we lost more people in that four months time than the entire campaign. Because the enemy was desperate He pulled out every single tactic he could because he was not going to give up. He was going to fight to the last man. Well, let me tell you, D-Day happened when Jesus walked out of the tomb. And the time from there until V-Day when he comes back is intense warfare. We are in a war right now, and it's not a political war. It's not a societal war. It is a spiritual war. And there's no Switzerland in the realm of the spirit. There's no neutral ground. You're either a victor or a victim. It is time for the church to wake up. It's time for men of God to stop relying on who they are and what they have and rely on whose they are and what he gives you. Because he gives you the strength to conquer any Goliath in your life. He gives you the strength to overcome any adversity in your life. If there's something that's so overwhelming to you that you can't handle it, you're in a good spot. Because you know somebody who can handle it. Even if it's something that you can handle, he can handle it ten times better. Hmm. You know... I'm going to share with you what happened to me recently. I've been, I've been a evangelist now for 13 years. Been all over the world, 36 different nations, over 300,000 people making, making decisions for Jesus Christ. And then uh, last summer, I went to Power and Love. Huh. Man, ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. <laughs> And, and I experienced the presence of God like I've never experienced the presence of God. And I'm not bragging, but I mean, I, I've, I've experienced some pretty cool stuff with him over my time. And, and I was just, I'm standing there and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And, 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 and the Lord speaks to me. And he says, Mike, you're a really good professional Christian. And I was like, what, what, Lord, what? What do you mean? He says, oh, yeah, you'll move in my gifts, the gifts that I've given you in the pulpit when you're overseas. But when you're in the grocery store, you could care less about the people dying around you. That just cut me to the heart. I got on my face. I was weeping. I repented. And I said, no more, Lord. No more. Gloves are off. 
You highlight somebody to me, I'm going to get them. I don't care. Nobody's safe around me. The devil is not safe anymore. I don't care where I'm at. If I'm in the middle of a grocery store, if I'm in the middle of my day, your day doesn't belong to you. Not if Jesus is Lord. It belongs to you if he's your savior, if he's your ticket to heaven, if you've got a Igthus fish bumper sticker. But if Jesus is Lord, nothing that we have belongs to us. It all belongs to him. You see, I got so caught up in the work of the Lord that I forgot about the Lord of the work. Ministry is not a position. It's not a calling. It's a lifestyle. I'm in here talking to a room full of ministers. People hear that and they're like, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a... Let me tell you guys something. The fivefold ministry exists for one purpose and one purpose only, to train and equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We're not even supposed to be, quote, there's nothing in the scripture that says we're supposed to do ministry. Now, when I have encounters with people, it's not because of, because of my, my calling or my title or any of that. It's because I'm a son of the, of the king. And because the Holy Spirit says, hey, that person over there needs some help in this. All right, I'm on it. Bam, let's go. You know, uh, <laughs> the Lord uh, spoke to me recently. I was praying and, and uh, he, says, <clears throat> he says, Mike, you know the Navy SEALs? I said, oh yeah, I know the Navy SEALs. I got to train with them one day and it was, it was really cool. And and he says, you know that when the Navy SEALs hit the battlefield and the enemy hears and knows that it's the Navy SEALs, nine times out of ten, they tuck tail and run. They're gone. And he's like, why is that? And I started racking my brain, and I'm like, well, you know, they're B.A. <laughs> they got a reputation and stuff like that, you know, they're and all that, and and he's like, no. He said, what are they afraid of? And he said, it's their violence. They bring a tremendous amount of violence on the enemy. They bring accurate, nonstop, 100%, no giving up, pure, unadulterated violence to the enemy. And it overwhelms the enemy. The enemy cannot handle that level of violence. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God suffereth violent, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God is advanced through violence, violence on the enemy. He's like, if the National Guard shows up on the battlefield, what's the enemy going to do? The enemy is going to take them on. And he said, what's the difference between the National Guard and the Navy SEALs? And I was like, mm, well, there's a lot of obvious things, but they're training. Navy SEALs eat, sleep, breathe violence. The art of violence. 
How can we bring more violence on the enemy? How can we more effectively destroy the enemy? No offense to National Guardmen in here. No offense. Serious. But they, they're weekend warriors. They train on the weekend. They go back to their regular life. God says to me, I'm tired of my church being the National Guard. Mm. come to church, 40 minutes, get some good music, hear a good word, right back into our regular life. When you got born again, you, you, you got enlisted into God's army. And the difference between God's Navy SEALs and the world's is it has no there's no physical, mental bearing on whether or not you're going to be a Navy SEAL in God's army or you're going to be a weekend warrior. The only difference is your obedience. If you obey God, he will bring a level of violence on the enemy that he cannot contain and that he has no answer for. It's time for us to stop being defensive and start going on the offense. Every time the enemy moves or does anything that's negative or brings any discomfort to your life, you need to overwhelm him and stomp his head in. You know, we used to, the first four times I traveled overseas, I would deal with this. This thing is called evil forebodings. You know, all these thoughts would assail me about, you know, I'd, I'd be playing with my daughter when she was, she was just born. I'd be playing with my daughter, and I'd get all these eerie. It'd be more than just a thought. I'd have this eerie feeling like this is the last time I'm going to speak with my daughter because the plane's going to go down. And there was all this anxiety and all this fear. And, and then, of course, I'd get on the plane, fly over there. A bunch of people get saved, fly back. Nothing happened. About the fourth trip that I went overseas and this was going on, the Lord broke in and said, when are you going to quit putting up with this stuff? When the enemy raises his head, you smash him, destroy him. And so I said, okay. And I started praying and interceding. Every time the enemy came at me, anything to do with flying, I'd start interceding. I'd say, Lord, I want a million souls. I started praying for this person, praying for that person. Guess what? I fly the friendly skies now. The enemy messes with you because he can. Because you allow him to. Men of war not only take territory, but they hold it. And they seek more. You fear God and you get stronger. You fear man and you get weaker. That's how it works. 2 Samuel 3.1 this battle was the beginning of a long war between the followers of Saul and the followers of David. Saul's power grew weaker, but David's grew stronger. Mm. Saul was always concerned about appearance. 
Saul was always considered, con, considering the optics of the situation, how he looked, what's it, what are they going to think? What are the people going to think? David could care less about any of that. His number one audience was the king. David, don't you hear what they're talking about you? They're just saying this, and there's these rumors. He said, I don't care about none of that stuff. I'm about my father's business. And he got stronger and stronger and stronger. Saul got weaker and weaker and weaker. The more you focus on what other people think about you, the more it weakens you. The more you focus on what God says about you, who God says you are, what God says you can do, the stronger you get. Now, don't get me wrong. He's going to lead you into some situations that will have you scared spitless. But it's okay. And being a man of God and being a man of war is not being perfect either. How many of y'all know David wasn't perfect? I mean, there's the whole Bathsheba thing. I mean, if you look at it, look, the man literally had his, one of his best friends killed to cover up the fact that he went and slept with his wife. Not only did he commit adultery, but he committed murder to cover it up, and he was, he was a political, it was po <laughs> political corruption to the nth degree. He used his position of power to overcome one. And, 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 and in today's religious circles, they would if it would have been nowadays, they would have said, oh, he, he's done, <laughs> God says, no, he's not. He's not done until I say he's done. Because I still don't look at his appearance. I look at his heart. Because when he was confronted, he repented. It doesn't matter how much you screw up, guys. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Oh, you're getting into that grace. No, 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 no. No, it's not about that. It doesn't matter how good you're doing either. You could read the Bible every day, pray every morning, never say a swear word, never think a bad thought, do good works for other people all, all week long. It doesn't mean nothing to God. Our righteousness is filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. You could screw up, miss it, fall off the wet, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter to God. What matters is your obedience to him. Your response to his call on your life. God's called every man in this room to leadership, to be an example, to be a witness. Being a witness is not just handing out tracts. I'm not against that. There's nothing wrong with that. Being a witness is not, you know, doing good things for other people, doing charitable things for other people. I'm not against that. that. That's also a good witness. But the biblical example of a witness is doing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He went about preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, opening blind eyes. I posed this question to a church once. I, was, I said, if, 
if from the Bible standard, if you were to be brought into court and be charged with being a believer in Jesus Christ, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Because the biblical standard is found in Mark chapter 11 where it says, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will. That means you have to be a willing participant. You have to make an, engage with your will and, and, and engage with God in this partnership and do it. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They'll speak in new tongues. They drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them. They'll cast out devils. And if you were in the box being accused by the prosecutor, that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, they'd say, where's the evidence? Well, he sure is a nice guy. He doesn't swear. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink. He goes to church on Sunday. Show me that in the scripture. All those things are good. Shouldn't smoke, it's bad for your body. Shouldn't drink. Shouldn't do any of that stuff. You, you better be in church, <laughs> right? Nothing wrong with that, but it wouldn't get you convicted. There'd be no evidence because you don't meet the, the legal standard and there's no witnesses against you. Let me tell you, I have seen God, I mean, <laughs> Every time I have an encounter with a person, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, hey, that person, like just last night, I dropped my son off at football and I go to the car wash because my truck was dirty and, and, and I was like, I got to get this thing clean. Now's a good time. I got my slot. I got this time right here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a good clean. I'm going to vacuum it. I'm going to get in the armor all. I'm doing all that stuff to it. You know, I'm in, the, I'm in there. I'm just chilling. I'm in my zone. You know what I'm saying? You know how men are when they get focused? I'm in the zone. <laughs> I'm at the task at hand. And I'm just, and there's this guy. He's cleaning out the vacuums. And the Holy Spirit says his knees are in pain. You're interrupting my zone, God. You're interrupting my zone. I stopped right what I was doing. I went up to the guy. Did I have this big feeling of confidence? No, sure didn't. I was irritated, to be honest with you. That's what I was feeling. Walked up to him, struck up a conversation. Hey, what's your name? My name's Jim. Hey, I'm like, nice to meet you. How's it going? He says, uh, do you like the pain in your knees to be gone? And he looked at me. He's like, how did you know that? I said, I didn't know it, but Jesus did, and he wants to heal you. And I said, can I pray for you? And he's like, I got, I don't have just my knees. I got pain everywhere. I got this muscle, muscle disease thing. And so I said, that's okay. He'll heal that too. Laid my hands on him. Prayed over him, said, check your knees. I asked him where his pain was. He said, that's ah, about a seven. Checked his knees. He's like, feels better. It's about a three. So let's pray again. Prayed again. 
Got done, said amen. He just got this look of astonishment on his face, and he is tripping. So I don't have any pain in my body. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you. I said, no, you need to go home and seek Jesus because he's the one that healed you. I didn't do anything. In a situation like that, there's no way I could ever take the glory. No way. Nope. Now, if I would have went to him and, 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 and investigated him and found out that he was in a dire financial situation and I whipped out $100 and gave it to him, I could have said, that was all me. I could have put Jesus sticker on it and said it was because of my faith. And I could have just said all that, but God doesn't get any glory out of that. Anything that's in you, within your ability that you do, God cannot get any glory out of that. He cannot get the full glory out of it. Anything that happens that you know you can't do and everybody else knows around you, knows you, you couldn't do it, that's when he gets the glory. Again, I'm not disparaging or knocking, being generous, you know, now, now, what would be God is if God said, go home, clean out your 401k, your whole bank account, and give it to that man. That would definitely be the Lord. Because faith has risk involved. Obedience has risk involved. When the Bible says take up your cross daily, that means you got to die daily. Every day. Every day. 